0: Few moments, I, as a pastor, and this is the way that my mind works. When I'm going to give you an exhortation of the scriptures, I like to at least create the context from which we have extracted the passages of scripture. In a little while, just a few short minutes, we're going to go to the fourth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, as the progression of the wall, or as the the the, the, the rebuilding of the wall is progressing. But let me retrace just very quickly. Last week, I brought to your attention that the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah began with saying that Nehemiah was living in Shushan, which was a palace of the area of of the um, Persian Empire. The king Artaxerxes had appointed Nehemiah the cupbearer. And Nehemiah, though he had never seen Jerusalem with his own eyes, he had longed to see Jerusalem, and he had heard about it through his family because the Jewish people, 120 years earlier... They had faced a great judgment by God. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, had come against the city of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. He had totally ravaged the city, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, broke down the walls, burned down the gates, carried many people captive and left but a handful of people, the poor impoverished people, to remain in the city. And during the next 70 years, the people remained in exile, but the prophetical word had been given through Isaiah the prophet that after 70 years, a king would arise that would write, that would speak an oracle or a decree and allow the people to return happened exactly as it was prophesied. Uh, uh, Cyrus, the Persian king, who had displaced the Babylonians, gave a decree allowing for a return. And so uh, there were three returns that were made. And every time they made a return, they always had an initial investment of passion and energy to start the process of either building the temple or rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem but then they would always fall back, fall back into some type of um, you know, complacency or for whatever reason. You can read both of the contemporary books of uh, Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah uh, has never seen Jerusalem, but he inquires about it. When he inquires about it, he finds that the, the condition of the people is almost the same as it was immediately after the war. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. The people that are in the city are just in- impoverished. They have nobody leading them, nobody pointing them progressively towards common goals and pursuits of fulfilling the will of God. And that breaks the heart of Nehemiah. And he begins to pray and ask God, what can he do? He spends five months praying and asking God what he can do. And eventually, one day, standing in, the, in front of the king, serving him as wine, and the king notices that the Nehemiah's countenance is affected, and he says, uh, what's wrong with you? And so he says, he tells the condition of the people, and he said, my heart is bleeding for my people. And he said, why don't, why don't you go back? And the king said, Said, what, what, what are you asking? Nehemiah said, I'm asking to go back and be appointed the governor, and let me go back and start this long, difficult task of rebuilding the walls of of the city of Jerusalem. So the king appointed him a time that he would go, and then he would return. He wrote letters, put them in his hand, put them in his hand, so that he could go and show the uh, the, the people surrounding the city of Jerusalem that he was authorized to actually uh, act on behalf of the king. Now we were journeying with. Nehemiah last week, or two weeks ago, trying to identify with him of what it's like when you discover God's will for your life. And Nehemiah, when he arrived on the scene in the second chapter of the book of Nehemiah, he doesn't really do anything. He doesn't sound a trumpet, he doesn't call special service, but he just secretly and quietly goes about at night searching out the, the, the depravity of the city. He rides a mule and he goes in the highs and lows, it's a very mountainous area, and he looks at the city only to come back through the night, get up the next and now he finally calls the people together and he says, look, look at the condition of the city. We were closing two weeks ago with some final exhortations when, when I was referring back to a sermon that my, my brother-in-law Billy had preached about how that we state the obvious. He said, look at the condition of the city. Look at the rubble. Look at the broken down walls. Look at the depravity of the people. This is not God's will for us to live that way. That was the obvious. So he said, why don't we rise up and build the favor of God's with us? We can do this. And the Bible says the people believed in his exhortation and they began to build. Now, the third chapter of the book of Nehemiah kind of begins to connect, showing how the the gates were repaired by different people groups. Twelve gates have been burned with fire and different people groups begin to repair those. And it takes us to the fourth chapter from which we're going to begin in just a moment. I'm going to put a pause on on that thought for just a moment. I want to remind you of something very quickly. And I want you to follow with me as I'm going to show you a few scriptures today that's going to affirm three things that I'm going to tell you in a moment's time. But there's a reason why that we as born again believers believe that the word of God holds uh, the mysterious element that's necessary in our life for us to discover God's will. And that's because we believe that the word of God is the revealed mind and the heart of God for our lives that when we study the Word and read the Word and meditate upon the Word and listen to the Word of God, then the image of Christ is revealed to us out of the Word. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus, and then we begin to pursue not our will, but... Come on, that's what we do. Isn't that what happens when you really begin to get the Word inside of you? And so the word says itself in Hebrews 4 and 12, the word of God is quick and powerful. King James English. In another translation it says it's living and active. Jesus himself said this. He said the flesh profits nothing. John 6 and 63. He said but the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so as you're searching for the will of God, I'm telling you that as you study and meditate and listen and identify with the word, God will direct your steps. Let me confirm this to you by us reading just a couple of Uh, or a few passages, we're going to read them very quickly today. Revelation 1 and 3 says, Blessed is he who reads. That's where we're going to begin at in Revelation 1 and 3, if we could tag on it there just real quickly. They're going to get to it in just a second. I have to go fast, so I may not be able to stay at that pace. Blessed is he that readeth and he that heareth the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written therein for the time is at hand. Notice that he said, Blessed is he that what? That reads and that keeps and hears the words of this prophecy, Psalm nineteen seven and through eleven. Very quickly, if we can turn there, we're going to read that very, very quickly. Gotcha. Well, we're going to have to progress on or This is going to it's going to. Let, let me read a few verses, and I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase some of these for you. Okay, let's read these seven through eleven, and then just let me paraphrase the rest of this little set. I set this set together just so I can confirm to you a principle. I want you to see it. Notice this. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Eighth verse. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. What does it do? Come on, if your eyes are downcast, you don't have any vision. Say, "I, I I live my life without vision. Well, then you need to get the word inside of you. It will enlighten your eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. It will endure forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Tenth verse. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much than than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant. What is he? He's warned. When you're warned, then you avoid certain pitfalls that a lot of other people fall into. Right? By the word of God. The word of God warns you and so it keeps you as you journey along life's pathway attempting to fulfill the will of God for your life. The word of God warns you and when you keep them there's great reward. Right? So if your eyes have strayed from the word of God and you find yourself not having vision for your life then get your eyes back into the word of God. God will enlighten your eyes and he'll begin to direct your steps. Psalm 119, 105 says that the word is a lamp unto your feet and a Light into your path. And Proverbs 3, 1 through 6 says that God, I'll just paraphrase the latter portion, it says that he will direct your paths. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Do what? Acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will... Direct your path. Joshua 1 and 8. I've heard Jojo quote it many times. And Joshua 1 and 8 is a paraphrase. The the scripture says that God told Joshua, Joshua, if you will meditate upon the law of God both day and night, I will prosper you and you will have good success. And and lastly, two verses that I'll just allude to quickly. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 and in Romans 15 and 4 in essence say the same thing. The apostle Paul is looking back to Israel and their the example of the nation of Israel in their ups and their downs, their highs and their lows, in their times of faithfulness and their times when they went wayward and they and they uh, apostatized and they fell astray. Uh, we we get to look at those. The apostle said he used two words. He used they're an example for us in Romans fifteen and four. He said they're written for our learning. So what I'm saying to you today is we go into 2015. Arrive at the place in your life where you say I am no longer uh, uh, satisfied with living a mundane life, not knowing the will of God for my life. I'm going to begin to get this word inside of me. It's going to activate faith in my heart. It's going to enlighten my eye. I'm going to begin to see. It's going to cast a light for my path. I'm going to know where to go. I'm going to know who I am. I'm going to know what I've been called to do. It's going to come because the word has illuminated who I am, what I am, where I am, and what God's called me to do. It's not going to happen without the word of God. Just sitting in a church service, occasionally is not sufficient. You've got to get this word inside of you. Now let's go back and the reason why I wanted you to see this, I want you to begin to identify with Nehemiah and the condition of the people of Jerusalem for just a few minutes. I think that is very important. You have to identify. Some pastors say you have to put yourself into the story. You have to connect to it. You don't just read it, but you somehow, you say, God, can you speak through these life examples? Can you speak to me so that I can connect to it as well? We're going to start as a text in Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, verses one through three. Now remember... This condition of this passage or the, the context of this passage, the fourth chapter, I'm looking that way and you're looking this way. I know that's confusing. Sanballat, these are, these are certain of the people groups that had taken possession of the land during the time of the exile and they are not so happy to see Nehemiah arrive and motivate the people to begin to rebuild the wall. So they have started the process, progress is being made and when Sanballat heard that they builded the wall, he was wroth and he took great indignation and notice what he did. He began to mock the Jews. Second verse. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? third verse, and now Tobiah the Ammonite was behind, beside him and he said, listen to what Tobiah said, even if they build it, even if a fox goes on top of that wall, just the weight of a fox, that wall is going to be so shabby so, uh, will not have any structural ability to it whatsoever, that even if a fox goes up on top of it, he's going to break down their stone wall. And I'm telling you, when the enemy made those pronouncements, they didn't just do it in a corner. They made sure that those words were getting getting back to the ears of both Nehemiah and all the people. i got three main points that I'm going to deal with today because I'm talking about how to overcome obstacles. If you're going to fulfill the will of God for your life, you need to go ahead and face the truth. It's not always going to be easy. It's not, going to be, uh, it's, it's not going to be a season in your life always where everything is peaceful and serene. There are going to be moments that you're going to have to just square your shoulders back, as we reference here quite often, and you're going to have to, as the Bible says, set your face like a flint, and you're going to have to, have to be determined that just because an obstacle is in front of me, I can overcome that obstacle through the power of Jesus Christ. For whatever reason, sometimes we think that if we believe God is behind it, everything's going to be easy. I'm telling you, God can be in the middle of it and everything be great challenging and an uphill battle. Are y'all hearing me today? And so I want you to hear this real quickly. The first obstacle that you and I must learn to overcome is intimidation by the enemy because we face a very real adversary. And then, listen to this, the insecurities that are created because of his intimidation. See, the adversary was angry, and so therefore he mocked He ridiculed, he questioned, and he belittled their vision and their effort. Notice the words. Notice what he said. He mocked the Jews. He called them feeble. He belittled them. He questioned them. He said, will they sacrifice? Will they build a temple? Will they start their life all over again? He's asked this question. He said, will they be able to recover? Will they be able to take this massive amount of heap and rubbish and turn this into something productive? He was saying it with the presumptuous answer that it would be no. Will they be able to revive? Thoughts and imaginations that enter our mind, that challenge who we are, that challenge our ability, that cause us to, to lose sight that we can do all things through Christ Jesus. And then we begin to look at our abilities and we feel insufficient and we feel incomplete. We don't feel like we have the resources. Our insecurities begin to map. We ask ourselves and we hear the enemy saying these in our mind, in our ear. And then we learn to believe them. We say, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough resources. I was raised on the wrong side of the track or I came from a broken home or I've got this addiction and I let all these things get in our way and they cause us to stumble and then we end up giving up the battle. The enemy wants to intimidate you back you into a corner until you don't feel like you have the ability to go forward. But I come today with the word against the adversary in the name of Jesus. You know what that word is today? I'm a child of the one true king. Come on somebody. I want you to know today I've let go of the regrets and the pains of a life born out in sin. I've been redeemed by the power of jesus blood i know my god i know what he's called me to do and i know who i am in christ jesus and if you know those three principles as well you can shake off the enemy's intimidation we all have insecurities but you have to face those insecurities by the power of the word of god and you can overcome as jesus overcame glory to god come on Listen to this. The enemy, the eighth verse, said this. The enemy conspired to come and to fight against Jerusalem. Did you know that the enemy has plotted against you and your family? And the will of God for your life? Did you know the enemy has cast a scheme in front of you? The Bible speaks of the devices of the devil. You say, well, pastor, what's my response? How do I arrive at the place? Now, remember, I only have a short time with you. Each one of these three things we're going to talk about today demands its own sermon in and of itself. And I only get to give you a few minutes to attach it and awaken it within you. Hopefully, it's going to drive you to the Word of God until you can begin to answer these things and discover these things for yourself. But the ninth verse said And Nehemiah responded, and he said, We made our prayer to God, and we set a watch against them day and night. Listen to this. Your feelings of insecurity and inadequacies, those fears and doubts that are on the inside of you, that have been created by threats and accusations of your enemy and your adversary, you must confront them by vigilance and prayer. I'm telling you that if you will learn to work your battle out in prayer if you'll learn to isolate yourself if you'll learn to say God I'm here today and I'll expose the inner issues of my life I'll expose the insecurities of my heart God you know how I feel you know what I'm wrestling with you know my challenges but Nehemiah said that he called the people to do this but remember the Lord and so as you're in prayer and you begin to, to, to expose these issues it's not as if they're not unseen to God already God already knows your thoughts he already knows your feelings but when you begin to expose them to God in prayer and you say God they're here they're hindering me from accomplishing the will of God but God today I believe that you're greater your word to me today was greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world God so I'm going to trust in you if you call me to do it God then you've equipped me to do it other people may have more talent but they don't have my calling other people may be more gifted but they don't have my calling other people may have other abilities and talents and resources but if I'm called to do this then then I can do it because God called me to do it. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you got to arrive at the place where you can answer three things. you got to know who God is. you got to know what he's called you to do. And you got to know who you are in Christ. And if you know those things I'm telling you, you can shake off those. Come on, you can get up and say, get thee be- Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Get thee behind me, Satan. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. He is complete and I am complete in Him. I hide myself in Him. So continually fight. Say, Pastor, how long? Continually fight. Don't give up. How long will this be? As long as necessary. As long as the enemy who is a liar and the father of lies is whispering in your ear, then I'll wage my warfare against him. I'll wet my sword of the spirit as long as I am facing those insecurities in my mind that I know are coming from a whispering voice of the devil because I know God's called me to be an overcomer in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. So the first obstacle that the text reveals to us is that we have to face intimidation. Are y'all hearing me? You have to. I remember I told this before. I'm going to tell it one last time today. But 12 years ago, when I was preparing to come to this church because I felt uh, it's not in my notes, but I'm going to tag it once again. This is the day of addendums. So I'm going tag. I'm tagging things here today just real quickly. When I uh when I was getting ready to to come to this church to do what's called the try out service. Oh, pastors have to try out and those are tough and you're like on American Idol of Preachers, and you got to preach and say all the right things and kiss every baby and and do all those, hopefully get the vote from the people, and I was coming from Shirley here, and I was blessed, God had blessed us for seven years, and I remember on that Saturday when a phone call came in, now, the individual is no longer here, but he later felt bad, but I just want you to know, you got to learn to discern the enemy's voice because he will even use good people, come on, to rob you. Now, this case, it was Sanballat and Tobiah. If anybody comes to you with the name of Sanballat and Tobiah, he's pretty much somebody that's not there for your best interest in the first place. But sometimes, remember Peter told Jesus, you're not going to the cross. And Jesus said, get thee behind me. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? The devil will often use even good people to hinder you. And I was in my office there at my house in Shirley anticipating coming. I think it was the following week. It wasn't the day. It was the, it was the, or the preceding week. It was the, the week before that I was supposed to come. And I got that phone call, and the individual uh, spent some time talking with me. And then he said, listen, he said, I want you to know that if you don't want to come, if you change your mind and you don't want to come to the service, you don't have to. And I'll go and I'll tell the people, because he said these words. He said, because you weren't the best and you weren't the worst. And now, see, other people could hear that, and it could rock them, knock them off, knock them back. But see, I knew my God... Didn't have to belittle me to promote me. Come on, somebody. And I could hear the voice of the adversary in that brother's voice. And so I said, You know what? Whether or not I'm the appointed pastor or not remains to be seen, but I do plan to come. If it's the will of God, then it's going to happen. Then you've got to set your face like a flint to not allow accusations to intimidate you and keep you from fulfilling the will of God for your life. Set a watch. Set a prayer vigilance and face these things. Number two, quickly today is discouragement. In the 10th verse of the 4th chapter, here's what the people arrived at. They worked for X amount of days. The Bible doesn't tell us how long... And read this verse with me if you can. It says that the strength of the bearers of burden is decayed. That word decayed is interesting in Hebrew. It actually means a weakness of the knees. Have you ever done something, climbed mountains, gone on a walk, bicycle, whatever, had a heavy laden upon you, and your knees got so weak that you just felt like you couldn't go further and you're just about to collapse? Has anybody ever done that? That's what the word means in Hebrew. Here they're saying, we've worked so hard... Look at this. This is one of the greatest challenges that you will face in accomplishing the will of God. There's only three that we're looking at today, so there's not a lot more, so stay with me for just a few minutes. They have worked so hard, yet there was still so much to do. Have you ever started something, and you worked so feverishly, or you pursued something so passionately, and then you looked up after many weeks, and it looked like you hadn't gotten anywhere? And when that happens, the Bible says, they said there is so much rubbish. When you're trying to, if you, if you went wayward from God and you're coming back and you look at your life and you say, I have so much baggage. There's so many things I'm dealing with. I just can't continue. Discouragement can be overwhelming. I'll tell you what, discouragement is often the pastor's greatest adversary. Oftentimes, pastors stand in front of you with a great smile on her face, but in secret privacy, we're, we're wrestling with that. We have to learn to overcome discouragement. And, and so they said, there's so much rubbish. They worked all day long, and yet they couldn't tell the difference. And, and, and that it arrived at the place where they said, I'm so weak through the effort that I've made that I cannot go any further. I, I would rather live with the piles of rubbish and walk around them for the rest of my life than to have the courage to face them and drive them out and to finish this in Jesus' name. And so many people are there. They're still living with the leftover baggage. They're still living with the issues of life that they should have long dealt with long ago. And the unwritten response in this passage of Scripture to this type of discouragement is this right here. Listen, it's called patience. I thank you for that exciting amen that you gave me right there. I am so blessed to have received that today. It really encourages me here. I know you don't like to hear that but sometimes it takes time you're in a hurry but let me tell you who's not in a hurry God is not in a hurry and so let me tell you you have to measure success not by accomplishment but rather by faithfulness well that's a good word right there Because you can keep doing the same thing over and over at times and knowing it's the right thing and you're not seeing the result. But if you know it's the right thing. Now, don't always continue to do it if it's not the right thing. But if it is the right thing, then you need diligence. You need to be faithful. You need to be consistent. You need to have a commitment. Let me tell you how recovery can come to your life. It can come one day at a time one stone heap at a time, one pile of rubbish at a time, little by little, day by day, you can begin to overcome by the power of Jesus' name. You'll eventually arrive at the place where you'll be able to see a measurable hand of God in your life and say, you know what? I couldn't see it at the time, but I can see it now. Look where I used to be and look where I am by the mighty hand of God. And when you get discouraged, let me tell you real quickly, in this fourth chapter, uh, Nehemiah said, let me tell you what to do. He said if you get discouraged and the enemy's about to break in upon you. He said the work is great. The wall is great. And he said we're isolated from one another. And he said if, if you have an enemy about to come in upon you and you don't have the strength to withstand him he said let's sound a trumpet and all of us will rally right there to you and we're going to fight alongside of you. Now a few minutes ago some of you were seeing what was happening at the altar and it was a little bit overwhelming to you. And you're like I don't understand though. I'll tell you what was happening. There were people in our church. that were was saying, I'm raising my hand up to sound the trumpet because I feel a little bit weak. I'm going through a great battle. And Nehemiah said, we're going to sound the trumpet and we're going to come right beside you and we're going to fight alongside of you and we're going to encourage you and you're going to be able to overcome because greater is he that is in you, that he, that is in the world. And lastly today, we're going to turn to the fifth chapter of Nehemiah, read a few verses, and we're going to prepare to close. Overcoming obstacles in discovering and fulfilling and accomplishing the will of God for your life. You need to know you're going to face challenges. It's not going to just happen. I said two weeks ago, not everybody is glad to see you. Hello? And you've got to live life knowing that. You're not going to make Fanfare with everybody. Come on. You just got to believe in what you've been called to do. Come on and be faithful and diligent. Press through certain issues and trust in the Lord. But the last thing, it's unique, and I really feel the Lord wanting me to share this in closing today. This is in closing. This is the last thing. It's indebtedness. Let's read this together. Verses 1 through 5 the fifth chapter of Nehemiah. There was a great cry of the people of the wives against the brethren, the Jews. And there were those that said, we are sons, our daughters are many. Therefore, we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Notice this. Some also that there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands, our vineyards, our houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. Fourth verse. There were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute. So he said, we're having to borrow money to pay our taxes. Are you hearing me? And that upon our lands and our vineyards. Fifth verse. Look at this. Look at this. And now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, look at this. We bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our servants are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. let's begin to really zone in in closing today. Let's zone in. I know because I've been preaching for a long time now that the three three obstacles I'm sharing this week and the three obstacles next week demand a sermon of themselves, but time will not afford us to do that. I have to just give you the nugget or the scratchless truth of the service and you're going to study it out on your own. But I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This is absolutely critical. If you're ready to arrive at the place in your life where you want to move into a greater arena of faithfulness before God, where you are accomplishing the will of God in your life, where you have that peace and that contentment that comes from somebody that is doing what they know God created them to do. How many believe that's very important? I mean, just to live life saying, you know, uh, I don't have to do what everybody else is doing. I just need to do what I know God's called me to do. Let me tell you, you cannot fulfill God's will for your life and be choked by a yoke of debt. Let's let's be honest. Let's in the words of Joan Rivers here today, and you shouldn't quote Joan Rivers in church. Can we talk? Can we talk for just a few minutes? Get the hypocrisy off. Every one of us at some point in our life have, have had the, 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 the grip of debt around us, and we know what it's like. You, you feel so entrapped, so tied to bondage, so limited. You want to go there, but you can't go there. You want to do this, but you can't do this. You want, you, you want to fulfill something at a greater plane, but you can't because you signed away certain parts of your life so that you could have a new VCR, days gone by, now a new DVD player, a new television. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let's be honest. Let's talk about it for just a moment, real quickly. In this passage of Scripture, the people found themselves in debt because of extortion. Most of the time we find ourselves in debt, it's not because of extortion, it's usually because of excessive living. Come on, would y'all join with me? for This, this is real today, church family. Uh, or poor planning... And sometimes it's unforeseeable events beyond. Okay, we know we'll smooth that. That's the minor. Those are the things we can't necessarily plan for. But for the most part, most of us find ourselves in debt because of excessive living or poor planning. The reality is the results are the same. You're feeling choked and you're robbing your children of their future. Now, listen, our culture and economy is totally debt based. Totally debt-based. Our economy is dependent upon you borrowing money. And so if you're not borrowing enough money, the economy is teetering as it's been the last few years. And if the banks aren't loaning enough money, that's a distorted structure of life. It means the God of this world, Satan, wants you to bring your children and your children's children into existence with a yoke of debt already around their neck. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? And I want you to know I do not believe that is the will of God for our lives. I believe that God said that if you are a, a, a borrower, you will always be servant to the lender. But I want you to know God wants you to be a lender and not a borrower. We serve a God of more than enough. And if we learn to trust in Him, we do not have to do what everybody else is doing and sell our children out with a yoke of debt upon them. This text reveals a few quick responses. Is Aaron in the sanctuary with me today? It's Shane. You're a good-looking bearded guy coming to the platform here with me today. It's all changed real quickly. Let me share with you a quick responses as we close today. Fifth chapter, sixth verse. When Nehemiah heard about this, can you post that? He says, when I heard about this, look what he said. When I heard this, have you ever had some righteous indignation? I'm telling you, if you sometimes sit down and look at certain situations about you and your family and your situation, it ought to cause some anger. If you live a life of two steps forward and three steps back, two steps forward and three steps back, and you think you're going somewhere, two steps forward and then three steps back, you are going somewhere, you're going back. You're not going forward. Just because you got motion in your life does not mean that you got favor and blessing and that you're accomplishing the will of God. Nehemiah heard about it and he said, this ear, this so infuriated me, I'm tired of God's people being in debt. Well, you know what? I stand before you as a pastor today. I'm tired of God's people being bound by the spirit of oppression and of bondage that's in America today. We need to be distinctly different in Jesus' name. So I'm angry in a righteous indignation. I've been angry at myself in days gone by. Number two, I love this. This has been a stimulus in my heart all week. The seventh verse, he said, I didn't call the deacon board together. I didn't call my family. I didn't sit down with my wife. I didn't sit down with my husband. He said, I consulted with myself. Sometimes you got to have that heart-to-heart talk that says, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of what I've been brought my children into. I'm tired of it. And there's sometimes there's nobody to blame but the man in the... My good God, you know, like Nehemiah, you know I'm preaching a lot better than they're shouting in here today. Glory to God. Come on. You need to have that meeting. I wrote it in my notes this way. You may need to call a meeting with yourself and come to a conclusion and say, you know what? I'm not going to have my children and my children's children be birthed into bondage. The Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance. Many of you are prepared to give an inheritance to your children and children's children. You're going to give them all of your bills when you die. And I'm not talking about dollar bills. We need to live differently, church family. It's about a perspective of how God wants you to live. God does not want you to live the way the American culture is living today, selling their souls out for something that fades with the fads of each generation. By God, that's good. You've got to come to the place and say, I'm going to, I got to deal with this. Third, seventh verse. He said, So I rebuke the nobles. Whosoever is responsible needs rebuke. If it's the man in the mirror, so be it. Whatever and whoever is creating the indebtedness must be found out, exposed, and rebuked. Let me tell you, if you know that you've got debt and it's the 800-pound gorilla in the corner of the room, he's not leaving until you tell him to go. He's not, you can sit there all days of your life and say, well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. Well, you'll live that way the rest of your life. Until you have that meaning where you consult with yourself and say, I'm tired of living like this and rebuke, which rebuke in this situation means you address the people that need to be addressed. I remember a couple years ago and Brother Randy and I had been a part of a, of a business here in, in, in Hebrew together. He'd come together. He'd let me come in with him and it was part of the oil and gas and God had blessed us. And, and it was, but it, but it, you know how the oil and gas industry kind of blew in here and then it kind of just blew out here. And it blew away. And it was, but thank God, God gave us some grace. But he and I sat down and we we dealt with some things in the business. But then at the same time, I went home and I realized that even though I knew better, I knew better, I knew these principles, I had allowed my own life and excessive living to overwhelm. I was spending more each month than I had coming in because I wasn't taking a record of what was going, coming in and going out. I had a lot of children. I still have a lot of children. <laughs> that hasn't changed. <laughs> but you know what they all had? They had a Walmart gas card that Mom and I thought at one time that was pretty cool because we'd save 15 cents on the pump. But then we had no, are you hearing me, no control over how much fuel was going in the car. And... You know what? When we looked at it, we found there was nobody to blame but us. And nobody was going to set it in order for us except for us. And we looked ourselves in the eye and we began to study and we applied certain principles, things that JoJo's taught many people over the last two years, the very principles of how to get out of debt. And when we did, I'm telling you, we saw the hand of God miraculously transition some things. I've discovered that when you set your heart to go this way, God usually will go with you. Come on, if you set your heart. Number four, Nehemiah called an assembly against the extortionists. You know what we're going to do today? We're going to call an assembly against the spirit of debt in your life. We're going to do that. We're going to just say, my God, in the name of Jesus, like Joe said. we're going to fight on your behalf today. And lastly, here's what Nehemiah did. Put the 11th verse up there, if you would, Phil. And we'll close on this verse right here. Nehemiah demanded. King James don't set the real, mar- the, the real margin of his, the urgency of his words. He didn't, another translation, he said, He said, I command you to restore. I'm telling you, there comes a place in your life where you have to say, you know what? God, I'm trusting in the name of Jesus that I'm going to be delivered from this yoke. I'm not going to live with this bondage on my life. I'm going to set in order my house and my household, and I'm going to trust that you're the God of more than enough. And God, we're going to curse debt in our life. We're going to rebuke it like it was a spirit. I don't know if it is a spirit, but I'm going to rebuke it like it is a spirit. Does that make sense? I don't know if it's a demon or a devil, but sometimes you've got to just pretend that it is and rebuke that thing in the name of Jesus and say, God, I can't be responsible for how everybody else lives, but I can be responsible for how you want me to live, and you don't want me to live with a yoke because I can't be the person that God called me to be so I can stand before you as a pastor today and encourage you in this area because Sherry and I sat in front of you today and we only have, the only debt we have is the mortgage on our house and that's the only debt. We don't have automobile debt. We don't have credit card debt. We don't have any such thing. And I thank God. I'm not bragging on any, I'm testifying because I've been there and, but I'm telling you and I could see if I didn't adjust it, it was going to hinder me from accomplishing the will of God for my life and it will for you as well. Are y'all ready to deal with it today? I believe we ought to call an assembly against it. Does that make sense today? I'm closing. You said, Pastor, you've said that six times now. Why are you counting? <laughs> Obstacles. Let's go back. Obstacles. It's not, it's, it doesn't just happen. The will of God does not just happen. You have to find it, believe God for it, and pursue it. And when you begin to pursue it, the enemy's going to set schemes, plots against you. If he can just trip you up and cause you to just drop your head, sorrow, discontentment, and say, well, God wasn't for it or it would have happened. And those dreams and visions dissipate and you miss the will of God for your life. I don't want that to be you. I want you to find your place, pursue the will of God, and accomplish it in Jesus' name. Let's let our heads be bowed and our eyes closed in the name of Jesus. Father, today I thank you for the privilege of preaching to this church family.